Hi there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com, and I'm very thankful to have this opportunity to have a one-on-one. That's right, I don't have a guest today, and so it's just me and you. And while it's not a discussion per se, because just me talking, I hope that we'll consider it like you and I are having a conversation together and that, you know, you're listening to what I'm saying and maybe we're just sitting there and drinking some coffee and having a chat. So uh, I hope that you are well and I'm excited to talk about the Bible with you. Now, I want to share something that I've not, I guess, kept hidden, but I just haven't really mentioned it in the public sphere a whole lot. But I'm going back to school. Now, I still plan to preach, and uh, preaching is my calling, it's my career, it's my job, and I absolutely I absolutely love it. So I'm, I'm not giving up preaching, but I want to add more tools into the toolbox, so to speak, and to be a more effective preacher. You know, someday I'd like to be an elder as well, and I want to add skills to help shepherd a flock uh, whenever, Lord willing, that time comes. And so uh, I've talked with the congregation that I'm working with, the Denton County Church of Christ, and um, I've received some financial support from others as well to go back to school. And um, anyway, I'm going back to Texas Women's University to uh, study marriage and family therapy. And so I would work towards becoming a licensed marriage and family therapist. And, uh, you know, there's all sorts of acronyms there. Uh, LMFT, ABCD, EFG, all those things. And so I'm trying to learn some of the lingo. But I wanted to just take a moment and maybe explain why I'm going to this particular school instead of, you know, going to a religious school. I'm going to a secular university that is not going to be presenting this information in a Christian worldview. Now, I do think a lot of it's going to overlap with the Christian worldview about uh, the need to love and respect each other and the... uh, desire to make a relationship work. However, there are a lot of differences just in the philosophy of TWU and what the Bible teaches, but I wanted to experience that, not for the sake of change. I'm not not interested in going beyond what the Bible says as far as uh, what marriage is and uh, what family is, etc., but the, the, the fact remains that Christians struggle with many types of sin and in many relationships. And so I want to be trained as professionally as possible so that I can help Christians who are struggling in their marriage relationship and their family relationships. I want to be able to help families that are struggling through addiction when one of their members is uh, addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography or any range of addiction that it might be. I want to help couples who are struggling uh, with Uh, their relationship together in marriage. I want to help young couples who are working towards marriage. I want to help people who are struggling with their sexual identity and um, are are being fed a lot of information from a lot of sources that is maybe contrary to what the Scriptures teach. And so I want to be somebody who is on our team, who is trained and able to help and uh, get people the help that they need and somebody that you can trust. So anyway, that's the reason why I'm going back to school and today's my first day. And so, uh, you know, uh, because of the COVID crisis, I'm not going into class. We're having class online this semester, but hopefully I'll be putting in, I think it's something like 500 
clinical hours, and then there's, I don't remember how many thousands of clinical hours after uh, the, the degree is finished to become licensed, but I hope that it'll be helpful. You know, I'd like to follow in the footsteps, however big they are, of uh, Dr. James Orton, a dear brother in Christ who's helped so many in the church, and uh, this is my small way of, of maybe contributing in the ways that he has, and his book, Marriage in a Chaotic World, has really impacted me. It was probably the premier book whenever I was uh, newlywed, uh, picking it up for the first time and kind of seeing my roles as a husband. It was so helpful. So anyway, I want to be that for the brotherhood. And uh, so keep me in prayer as I go back to school. I'm really trying to figure out how to juggle a lot of these responsibilities and the works that I do, because I do enjoy putting out a podcast. I do enjoy uh, producing videos, but I also enjoy having Bible studies with people, and I enjoy traditional preaching. And now that I'm adding, going back to school, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to do everything as diligently as I have in the past, so please pray for me. So what I'd like to talk about with you for a little bit today is, uh, maybe you read the title of this podcast, but even when they don't deserve it. Specifically, we're talking about marriage, and uh, you know, I've been married 13 years, and so for some of you, I always I always get a kick out of when I tell people that based on the different reactions. You know, some people say, "Oh, you're still a newlywed," you know, and uh, younger folks typically are like, "Oh, wow, you're you're old," you know. So it's it's just interesting how it never really changes. Those who are younger, you'll always seem as younger. Those who are older, you'll always seem as older. Marissa and I are by no means a perfect couple. However, we love being married to each other. And our relationship is one of the joys of my life because she is a pleasure to love. And she is a treasure to be in our house, to be my wife, to be the mother of our children. And uh, it's just been a joy. These past 13 years have been a joy. Has every day been perfect? Of course not. Have I always acted the way a husband should? Of course not. And dare I say it, has she always acted the way a wife should? Of course not. But because of our love and respect, based on what the Scriptures teach about what a husband and wife should be doing, that mindset, we get through some really tough times, and we always come out on the other side with a deeper love and respect for each other. So what I want to do is share Scripture and just kind of ask some questions from this Scripture with the idea of even when they don't deserve it. Now, it's 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, and I'm working on a workbook. I don't know if it's going to be out soon or later. I've, I've got the five main lessons in it finished, and I wanted to add a few more. I was actually thinking about getting my dad to help me write some topical lessons about marriage um, to add to the workbook. So maybe it's going to come out soon, but maybe I'll wait till I'm done with this program, and if there's you know, some good things that I've learned in it, maybe uh, take a few years to do some marriage and family therapy and then write the workbook. So who knows? But this is a lesson uh, in the workbook that I've worked on, and I use it uh, in conjunction with Marissa whenever we do um, pre-marriage studies or premarital counseling. Uh, we've been helping couples for a few years now, and uh, this is one of the lessons that we like to share with them. So open your Bible to 1 Peter 3, verse 1 through 7, and... Uh, if you got a notebook, let's take some notes together too. Uh, I've got five principles that I think we can take away from this scripture, five applications, maybe you want to call it that. But first what we want to do is, is answer some context questions. So 
uh, let's jump into the reading and uh, start asking these questions. First Peter chapter three, verse one through seven. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Okay, so the first question I want to ask you, and I think this may be either the New King James or the English Standard Version. could be the New American Standard. I'm not quite sure because um, I got the, the PDF open. But it begins with that word likewise, right? Likewise. What, what does it mean? Likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands. Have you thought about what, what is Peter comparing that to? Likewise. Well, what we have to do is um, look back. Because the word likewise means it's it's making a comparison between this verse and some verses previous to it. The New American Standard says in the same way, and uh, the New King James says likewise, and the ESV, which is one that I like to use a lot, English Standard Version, that's the one that I'm using here. Likewise, wives, be subject. Okay? So the, the first principle, if you wanted to maybe have a place on your paper where you're writing down these principles, is this. Jesus left a pattern of submission. Okay, I want to go back one chapter because First Peter is one of the main themes of it is submission. And uh, we find it in many scriptures, but I'm just going to read these three. First Peter 2 verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So, you know, we as citizens are supposed to submit to the government. Um, as long as we're able to and when we're not disobeying God. First Peter 2, verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters in all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So um, we're supposed to, if we, you know, in, in our culture, typically we see that more like employer-employee relationship. So employees, you need to submit to your, your boss. If you are in a culture, somebody out there that's listening to this, where there still are servants or slaves, then those people would need to submit to those who are over them. Finally, verse 21, uh, it says, For to this you have been called. For to what have we been called? To this type of submission, to uh, being subject, and, and the consequences that come with being subject, especially talking to servants who are subject to their masters who uh, suffer at the hands of somebody who is unjust. Verse 21, For this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example that you might follow in his footsteps. So Jesus leaves this pattern of suffering and a pattern of submission. So back in chapter 3, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Sisters, you're following in the footsteps of what the Christian faith is all about, submission. And, uh, you know, wives submitting to husbands is just one of the biblical forms of submission. You look in Ephesians chapter 5, I believe it's verse 21, and it says that we're all supposed to submit to one another. And we're going to see here in a little bit that there's another likewise where it's talking to husbands, and it's hearkening back to the submission of wives. All right, so there's a lot of submission. Here's a question, though. And I keep using that word. What does submission mean? Right? So what is this word to submit. Well, it means to subordinate or to yield to. It's a military term. The idea is that the private uh, in the army submits to the uh, 
uh, I don't know, sergeant or captain. I don't know the terms too well in the arms force, armed forces, so sorry if I get it wrong. The, the sergeant submits to the captain. The captain submits to the general, you know. Now, all of those are persons. They're, they're, they're all endowed with the same personhood, and they have, you know, the same uh, rights given by God. They have the same soul, the same spirit, right? So the person is the same, but their role in the army is different, and that's how it works uh, in the home, is that, that these are two equals, two peers, two heirs of grace, where one is volunteering to submit to the other, you could write down 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 through 16. And here we, we have a great example of equal submitting to equal. And the comparison is God the Father and Jesus Christ with Jesus submitting to the Father in the same way that uh, a husband and wife where she submits to her husband. Jesus is equal in divine nature to God, and yet he voluntarily submits the same with a wife. She is uh, an equal heir of grace to her husband, right? God doesn't love women any less than men because he asks them to have a different role in the home. But rather, he loves you just the same and gives you a different work to do. So likewise, let's read again. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won by the, without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. What kind of husband, in verse 1, what kind of husband is disobedient to the word? Well, I think in context you have um, these pagans who, you know, when one of them converts, for example, if a, a, a lady converts, she becomes a Christian, but her husband hasn't converted. Maybe she went and saw... Uh, in the first century, she saw this miraculous sign, and the apostles are preaching, and she's convinced that Jesus is the Christ. She's baptized for the remission of sins, and now she is living the Christian life. And her husband doesn't want to. And so the question that, that Peter is uh, answering, and Paul had the same question asked in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is, now that we're Christians, what do we do with our pagan spouses? And Peter is admonishing and imploring and teaching these women, you uh, submit to them so that even if they don't obey the gospel through preaching, they're going to see the gospel through your living, right? And so here's the, the main heart of this Bible study. It's a question, I suppose. I'll maybe start there. Do you have to submit only when your, your husband deserves it? Does he have to be a good Christian man who's got his life together for you to submit to him, sister? The answer is no. Um, so God, you know, the Holy Spirit through Peter um, is explaining here that even when he doesn't deserve it, you submit to him. And so he is won by the conduct of the way you live, seeing your respectful and pure conduct. You know, this is speaking in generalities, obviously, you know, some people can go 40, 50, 60 years and never convert, and other people see the, the conduct of their wives, and within the year, they've obeyed the gospel. So it's speaking in general terms, sister, but the idea is you're not going to nag and harass and guilt trip him into going to church with you, but rather you are going to live a life where you are submitting to your husband, you're 
living a godly in the way that you speak and the way that you behave, not just with him, but with everybody. You're living that sanctified, called-out life, and he observes it. Now, here's a second group of people who don't deserve to be submitted to, and that's Christian husbands. You want to know why? Well, I'm a Christian husband, and there's times when I act like a bonehead, right? And there's times when I don't deserve to be submitted to as far as the fairness or you know, the, the human quality of the submission goes. I don't deserve it. I don't act like a head of home. I don't act the way that a, a godly man should. I don't act the way that Jesus would towards the church. And yet Marissa is called to submit to my leadership. And really, what's at stake here is that when she stands before God in judgment, she's not going to be responsible for the way that I treated her. Right? So God's not going to say in judgment to my wife, well, your husband, you know, he didn't deserve it. And so, um, you know, we're going to let you off the hook since you didn't submit to him. Or, or, you know, your husband, he wasn't a good guy. And so you're responsible for that. You, you have to pay for the sins of your, you know, bonehead husband. That's not the way judgment works. Marissa will be held accountable for her submission. And I will be held accountable for the way that I am spiritually leading our home as a servant leader. And so when we do our jobs as husband and wife, really, we're doing them to the Lord. And that, that's the, the main idea I want you to take away from this is that, sister, when you submit to your husband, you are submitting to him as unto the Lord. And that's what you'll be held accountable for in judgment. I'm not saying that as a threat. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it as a fact. And, and husbands who are listening to this, brothers, you will, you'll be held accountable not by how she submits. So whether your wife really struggles with um, being in subject to your leadership, and so you, you're going through your whole life kind of struggling for power, you are not accountable for her struggle. You're accountable for your servant leadership, where you are leading your home and loving your wife the way that Jesus loves the church. And so even if she doesn't deserve to be loved the way Jesus loves the church, even if she doesn't deserve it, you still love her that way. And sister, you still submit, even if he doesn't act like Jesus, you still submit as to the Lord. So that's the second principle. I want you, if you're taking notes, to write down this. I can obey God no matter what. I can do my job in our home, in my role, no matter what. Now, I guess I should qualify that. We're not talking about dealing with abuse and dangerous situations where people's lives are at stake. Please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I, I want to communicate this in general terms for the general family where generally people are trying to do what's right. So anyone out there who thinks that they have the right to abuse physically or mentally, emotionally, sexually, anybody who thinks they have the right to abuse someone because, well, God made me the head of my home so I can do whatever I want, you're wrong. You're wrong. Because Jesus never, ever abused the church. Jesus laid his life down for the church before she was willing to submit to him. He was willing to give his life for her. So, brothers, you should be willing to take a bullet for your wife. You should be willing to lay your life down 
That's servant leadership. And thinking because you're the head of the home that you get to be the king of the castle with an iron fist who gets your way all the time and everybody has to bow down before you because you're head of the home, that's not what I'm talking about here. We'll get more to the husbands and servant leadership in a moment. But I just wanted to pause and, and, and remind us that dealing with abuse is not what the Scriptures are, are saying when they say, wives, be subject to your husband. It's be subject in God's ordained authority to a man who is doing his best to be like Christ. And even when he's not, like verse 1 and 2 says, they're going to see the conduct of their respectful and pure conduct of their wife, and they're going to be won over by that behavior. Now, let's look at verse 3 through 6. It says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very precious. That's a long sentence, isn't it? But we're not done. We've got two more sentences. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So it's continuing on with the mindset that a Christian wife is going to have. What, what sort of mindset is it? Well, it's a mindset that's focused inward. Okay, So it starts with this verse that some people misinterpret. And, uh, you know, some translations add a word, merely, merely. And uh, it says, do not let your adorning be merely external. And then there are groups who say, aha, that word's not in the Bible, so we have to take it literally, do not let your adorning be external, braiding of hair, putting on of gold jewelry, and the clothing that you wear. You can't, um, you, you, you can't do those things. You can't braid your hair and put on gold and wear fine clothes. Well, the word merely is inferred because there are places in the Bible where women did these things. You know, and godly women um, wore jewelry. I think about in the Old Testament, jewelry was one of the gifts that um, Abraham's servant gave to Rebekah whenever she um, was to become the bride of Isaac. So she was given jewelry to wear. There's nothing in here literally about it being fancy clothing. It says, don't let your adorning be external, the clothing that you wear. So if you're going to take that literally, that means you'd have to walk around naked. So obviously there's got to be some element of us taking this uh, figuratively, talking about don't let your adorning merely be external, right? That means focused primarily on how you look on the outside. So sisters... Remember, this is talking about you and being in subjection to your husband where you're going to win them over with a respectful and pure conduct. And so you're not spending your life obsessing about how you look on the outside. Does that mean that you, you know, just give up and, and you don't care about the way you look? No. But it's asking what's the primary motivation of your life? And, you know, I'm, t I'm trying to talk to a Christian audience here. Maybe if somebody's not a Christian and they're listening to this and they think, man, you know, you're really getting down on women. N not at all. I'm just asking us to consider what's our mindset. Well, it says in verse 4, Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is precious. Sister, you need to get your heart right. 
That's the most beautiful thing that you can do is have a good heart. There's Proverbs, and I wish I could remember them off the top of my head. I'm kind of speaking extemporaneously, though. Uh, But it talks about how a beautiful woman who lacks discretion is like a pig with a gold ring in the snout. (laughs) It's meant to be a joke. I think we we can laugh at that picture. But the idea is it doesn't matter how beautiful you look. When your heart is bad and you are a vindictive mean-spirited, nagging, backbiting, gossiping, guilt-making person. It doesn't matter how beautiful you are. That ugly heart's going to shine through, right? And so what I want to maybe encourage you with, especially those who maybe are insecure with how they look, right? So if you are insecure with the way you look, maybe it's because of age or because of weight, or because of physical appearance. There, there, there may be different reasons. Let me tell you something. Your husband loves the way you look, right? Because all of our bodies change. As we get older, our bodies are going to change. And, and, and instead of being obsessed with getting that body to look the way it did when you were 21, Right to, to be at the weight you were when you were 21, to be the dress size you were when you were 21, to have the, the smooth skin that you had when you were 21, whatever. you know. As we get older, our bodies are going to change. And I'm going to tell you something. Your husband is going to be crazy about your body. He's going to be crazy about the way you look. And sister, if you have kids, your body's going to change. You won't look the same that you had after kids. I mean, you you look at ladies in magazines and on TV and stuff. You know, I don't know why they look the way they do because they have millions of dollars to have plastic surgery done so that they can focus on the way they look on the outside. But not you, right? Not a godly woman who's focusing on the inside. So you get the heart right, and your husband is going to be crazy about the way you look, and he's going to be just as in love and just as enamored and intoxicated by you because of your good heart. Now, I'm speaking in general terms, right? And so I'm not, uh, the things I say may not get rid of your insecurities. I can't do that in in this podcast. But I'm hoping that what you're going to see in this scripture is that when you adorn yourself with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, when you have respectful and pure conduct, when you submit to your husband, then that beauty is going to radiate outward. I have to share this proverb. Let me get it up real quick on my computer. I think it's a proverb chapter 31, and I'm going to have to read it because I can't remember it off the top of my head. Proverbs 31, verse 28 through 31. Here's a woman who's married with kids, right? And this is what her kids and her husband think. Verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. So this guy's crazy about his wife. He's so impressed with her. Now, here's the very last two verses in the whole book of Proverbs, and it's about this virtuous woman, and it says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And and what I take from that is that 
youth goes away. Even your intellect may go away. But a woman who fears the Lord, who's got a good heart, she is to be praised. Sisters, brothers, listen to this. As we get as we're transitioning over to uh the guys, I, I just want to to mention this. Think about how you're gonna be married for, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, depending on how long both of you live, the longevity of your relationship. But generally speaking, talking to a Christian audience who's interested in being married for life, um, what are you going to have with this person in eternity? You know, in Matthew 22, um, Matthew 21 or 22, Jesus is talking to people who are wondering about how people are going to be in the resurrection. Who's, you know, whose wife will this woman be who's been married seven times? And Jesus says, in the resurrection, people are not going to be married. They're going to be like the angels, right? And so, you know, with me and Marissa, Lord willing, if the world continues and, and we are married for 50, 60, 70 years and we pass away, we meet each other on the other side in paradise. You know, the, the Lord comes again. We meet each other in heaven. What, what do we have? We don't have a physical relationship anymore. We don't have an emotional relationship as husband and wife anymore. That's over. What we have is a spiritual relationship. And I'm going to look at Marissa, and, and, I, and I hope she looks at me and says, thank you for helping me get to heaven. What we will have that remains eternally is gratitude for being a spouse that helps the other spouse get to heaven. So, sister, even when he doesn't deserve it, even when he is not when he's not loving you the way that you feel like Jesus would love the church, you submit to your husband because you want to help him get to heaven. Right? Isn't that doesn't that make it I think it does. Doesn't it make it easier whenever you're having an argument or a rough day or a rough week, a rough month, a rough year to say, you know what? We're not going to be like this forever, but we will be in heaven forever. And I want you to get there. And so I'm going to do my job no matter what. Okay, here's a couple of principles, and then we're going to read verse 7. So write these down. Principle number three, a wife's adornment is uh, should primarily be inward focused. Kind of got ahead of myself. I forgot those principles. A wife's adornment should primarily be inward focused. Okay? And here's the fourth principle. Write it down. Incorruptible beauty. This is from verse 4 and 5. Incorruptible beauty comes through submission to a husband who does or does not deserve it. Incorruptible beauty comes through a submission to a husband who does or does not deserve it. That's right, sister. Your incorruptible beauty is through your submission to your man. Now, man, let's talk to you for a moment. Verse 7, likewise, husbands. Aha, there's that word likewise again. What do we say it was about at the very beginning of this? Do you remember? Likewise. Well, it's pointing back to something else. Uh, likewise, wives was pointing back to this pattern of Jesus submitting and the pattern of submission found in chapter 2. Likewise, husbands. What's that talking about? Well, it's talking about the submission that wives are doing to you. So she is trying her best to submit to you, brother. She's doing everything she can to, to 
dwell with you in a way where she can be in subjection and do her role as home manager. And so likewise, you have to live a life of submission. Now, you may not have thought about that before, but you have to submit to your wife. Now, it looks different in God's ordained role of authority. The type of submission you're doing is is different than the type of submission she's doing. But through your leadership, you are a servant of the home. You are serving your family. And being the head of the home means you are the chief servant of others. And you're setting the example for others instead of thinking you get to be the Lord. I mean, think about Jesus who in John chapter 13, when he washes his disciples' feet and he he wraps up, what does he say? He says, I'm doing this to set an example for you. The Gentile rulers, they lord it over their subject, but that's not going to be the way that we do it. We're going to be servant leaders. So husband, likewise, you... This is what the Bible says. Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Oh, man, there's a lot to unpack in this verse. Why, uh, Husbands, you have a command to live with your wife in an understanding way. You have to understand her. She does not have to understand you. Okay, as far as taking this in context, the command is for you, husband, to understand her. It's really easy. It is for me. Maybe it is for you to to scoff at trying to understand our wives. Ah, I'll never get this woman. She's so emotional, illogical, whatever. You know, she tells a story and and she goes in all these different directions. And here I am wondering what you know what's the purpose of what we're talking about right now. And so you want to be logical. You know, she she's venting and, and you want to fix her problem. Uh, you want to get from A to B as quickly as possible. You want to explain to her logically why, you know, she's just being emotional and irrational. Now, what I'm, I'm not asking you to do is to lay down and, and like, a, you know, a dog and, and just roll over and never uh, assert any logic or reason into discussion that you have. That's not what I'm talking about. But the Scripture says you live with her in an understanding way. And so you have a a job here to try to understand her. So that's the fifth principle. If you want to write this down, there was five. And here's the fifth one. A husband must try to understand his wife who deserves it and doesn't deserve it. Right? So what if she's not submitting to you? You know what you're called to do? To live with her in an understanding way. What if she's God's perfect gift and is the perfectly submissive wife? Well, you're still going to live with her in an understanding way. You are called and you will be judged by how you live with your wife in an understanding way. Bear that in mind. You're showing her honor. That's what the Scripture says. You show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. What does that mean, weaker? The weaker vessel? Well, I'll be honest. There's a lot of different opinions by a lot of scholars about what it means to be the weaker vessel. Some people think it's talking about how uh, in 1 Timothy 2, uh, because she sinned first, she's the weaker vessel because she gave in to sin. Some people think it's physiological because generally speaking, men are bigger than women. Our bone structure, muscle mass, etc., bigger than women. But let me tell you, brother, if your wife weighs 210 pounds and you weigh 140, 
she's still the weaker vessel, even though she can beat you up. Okay, so there has to be a way that this works in all relationships. And here's one of the best ways I've heard it, and I want to share it with you. Notice that it says, you show honor as to the weaker vessel. And so what I want you to think about is, man, you are like a bowl made out of wood, okay? And she's like a bowl made out of crystal. And this crystal's been passed down from generations, so it's very, very special. How do you put a bowl of wood on the table? Say you're going to you know, make a big bowl of ice cream and put it in this wood bowl. I don't know. Well, you, you might get it down and you're kind of rough with it. And you don't treat it as gently because you're not worried about breaking it. Right? And so that's kind of how we treat guys. Generally speaking, you know, a guy, a brother in Christ comes to you and he's got a problem. And you're like, what are you doing? Stop that. Get over it. Right? You know, let's let's get you accountability. We're gonna we're gonna set up some boundaries right now, right? We need to start working on a Bible reading plan because we fix things. And when guys have problems and we we confess our problems one to another, we we're just gonna jump in and slap them around and get them back on the straight and narrow. But your wife doesn't need that. She's like crystal. And so you dwell with her in an understanding way. You show her honor the way that you would show that crystal bowl. You don't get that crystal bowl out and just throw it on the table. You don't get that crystal bowl out and just put a, a scoop of ice cream in it, right? That's for, that's for the special occasions. That's the stuff that we treat with the utmost respect because of how precious it is. Brother, that's how you see your wife. She is precious to you. She is your gift from God. That's how we show honor to her. And by the way, the scripture teaches she is your heir. Or rather, she is a fellow heir, not yours. She's not yours, heir. She is a fellow heir of grace. Like in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 28 says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. They're all one in Christ Jesus. That means that God loves men and women the same. He loves their spirit the same. He loves us to the core the same. And so while we have different jobs of submission or leading a home, remember that we're fellow heirs of grace and here's the last point, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You ever thought about that, brother? That your prayer will be hindered if you don't dwell with your wife in an understanding way, if you don't show her honor and you don't treat her as a fellow heir of grace, that your prayers will be hindered? Why are prayers hindered? What does prayer have to do with this? Well, did you know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I believe it's verse 4 through 6, that's the only other time where it talks about prayers being hindered, in both places, it's talking about relationships where people are unwilling to do their God-given duty. So in 1 Corinthians 11, it's about those that are not willing to submit or those who are not willing to lead, specifically about keeping their head covered and uncovered. It's talking about um, hair. But the idea there is a woman who does not want to keep her place in God's authority or a man who does not want to keep his place in God's authority, their prayers will be hindered. And this one in 1 Peter 3, this is the only other place where it says your prayers uh, may not be hindered or that they will if you don't do this. Brother, it's because of this. You've been called to be Christ in your home, to love your wife like Jesus loved the church. And if you get that wrong, if you treat her poorly, if you treat her not like a woman of honor, 
not like a crystal vessel. If you demand uh, this, this lordship, if you abuse your wife, right? All of these things, these awful things, and then you turn around to Jesus and you say, Lord, please uh, help me to be a good man and, and help me to be humble. and help. Jesus sees the fruit that you've bore, that you're not really interested in that. Because if you were, then you would have treated her with honor. You would have lived with her in an understanding way. And so by our fruits, we are known. And your fruits are on full display to the master. So if you want your prayers to make it to heaven, then you live with your wife in an understanding way. You treat her with honor as a weaker vessel. You rejoice with her as a fellow heir of grace so that your prayers are heard. This is very similar to the idea that uh, you forgive others because that's the way you're forgiven. And if you don't forgive others, then you won't be forgiven. So husbands, as servant leaders, we lead with humility at home because that's what we want Jesus to do to us. Okay, so that's our Bible discussion for the day, for the podcast this week. I hope to have um, a guest back next Monday. But like I said, I'm really struggling with how to juggle all of my responsibilities. And so this weekly podcast and weekly videos, there's, there's going to have to be a change so that I can fit in school. Pray for me, please, as I begin school, that I will uh, study well and learn well so that I can be effective in the Lord's Church for um, working with couples and families in marital and family problems. I want to be helpful as I can. And, and in all things, I want people to know Christ. That's my job as an evangelist is to share the good news with families who are hurting and with others as well. So please pray for me. I hope this Bible study was helpful for you, especially encouraging for husbands and wives to remember that even when somebody doesn't deserve it, we do our job because we're going to be accountable for that. And through our good conduct, our respectful behavior, we can help our spouse turn around and be what they need to be. Okay, that's all for today. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true. About a judge by the name of Gideon He was a man like me and you Well, Israel was in some trouble And God knew what to do